And so turn to John 21, last chapter of John's Gospel. We are drawing very near to the end of our journey together. Almost makes me want to finish that and just start right back over. But there's so much uh, else in there. John chapter 21, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. And read down to verse 19. And when they, that is the disciples who had gathered in Galilee waiting on Jesus, and Jesus had joined them there, when they had finished the breakfast Jesus had provided for them, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, and feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you Love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And so now, Lord, would you open our ears Would you remove all the distractions, uh, the ones around us, Lord, but especially those inside of us that would lead our minds to wonder and and would, would close the ears. We know Satan is always at work trying to snatch up the seed sown along the path, and we want it to be a good seed. Well, it's it's good seed whether we know it or not, but we want it to hit good soil, hearts prepared to hear and receive and bear fruit. And so, um, even as we hear the rain falling outside, Lord, would you let that rain of your mercy fall upon us through your word, for Christ's sake. Amen. So Peter had failed miserably, and he knew it. Uh, That night, just before Jesus died, he had warned the disciples that they would all fall away. Peter protested, but not me. Though they all fall away from you, Matthew 26, I will never fall away. And even when Jesus warned him personally that he would deny him three times, Peter boasted in that same chapter, even if I must die for you, I will not deny you. He was so sure of himself, confident in the strength of his faith and the the power of his own love to keep him following Jesus. And then it all fell apart, remember? At the trial, as Peter warmed himself beside a charcoal fire that someone had prepared, people began to question him. Aren't you one of them? No, he said, I'm not. Another, I'm I'm sure I saw him with you. I don't know what you're talking about, Peter said. 
And finally, one said, I'm certain that you are one of his followers. I saw you there. And Peter said, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. And somewhere in the darkness, a rooster crowed, just as Jesus said it would. And in that moment, Luke 22 says, Jesus turned and looked directly at Peter, and Peter's heart broke. Because he knew he had failed his Lord. He ran off weeping into the night. And a few hours later, Jesus was dead. But now, Christ has risen from the dead. Peter and the other disciples have seen Him. They're seeing Him now for the third time since that beautiful resurrection morning. Christ has come to them. He's proclaimed His peace to them. That He's assured them of the forgiveness of sin. Surely by now Peter understands that he is fully forgiven. But what about his relationship with Jesus? Will Jesus ever trust Him again? Enough to call Him to service? Can He use Him at all anymore? Has He forfeited all that? Has all that been lost? See, once you've fallen into sin as a believer, you begin to wonder, can I be restored? Because of what I did, because of my failure, can it ever be the same between me and Christ again? That's the question Jesus wants to answer for Peter this morning. So let's pay attention to what we find here because these things were written, surely not just for Peter himself, but for us as well because we need to know how rich and deep is that grace of God in Christ we've been singing about for those who love Him even when we fall. We need to understand that we can be restored through love. So let's begin there. First of all, it really is a question of love. This is what Jesus is going to press upon him. We pick up in verse 15 and it says, right after they finished breakfast. You remember that breakfast, right? That one Jesus had prepared for them there on the shore. We were looking at that last week. They'd, they'd fished the whole night and caught nothing at all. But with one word from Jesus, their nets were filled. John cried out, It's the Lord! And Peter hurled himself into the sea and swam right to Jesus. And when he got to the shore, he found a charcoal fire already prepared, fish and bread uh, ready to eat, and an invitation to come and eat breakfast. But pay attention to that charcoal fire in verse 9. I am pretty certain Peter did. There are only two places in the New Testament where we see specifically this kind of fire, a charcoal fire, and and, and this word describing it. Uh, The first was in that courtyard of the high priest that evening when Peter denied Christ three times. The second is here. So is that just an accident of events that we have the same fire in both those locations? And if so, why does John specifically call our attention to that detail? For that matter, why did Jesus create a charcoal fire? I said last time that smell is one of the strongest triggers of memory that we have. I mean, the smell can send you back years, right? Uh, to this day, whenever I smell freshly mown grass on a cool morning, especially in the fall, I am instantly transported back to football practice in high school. 
I mean, I'm just there. It's just boom. I'm standing there again. As soon as Peter got out of the water and smelled that fire, I am certain it all came back to him. I failed. Jesus called me to be faithful, to lead these men, but I failed. I sinned. I denied Him. What possible use to His kingdom could I ever be again? Jesus knows His mind. As soon as breakfast is finished, we're told He takes Simon Peter aside and begins to ask him a series of questions. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That sounds kind of harsh to me. Do you love me? And then he, the way he asks it even is, is, is rather odd. Not Peter. Simon, son of John. You, re- you realize that's Peter's official legal name. It's like calling me Samuel Scott Lee. Right? It's not the nickname that Jesus had given him back in John 1. Uh, you, know, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, the rock. This is his formal legal name. Almost as if Jesus is acknowledging the distance that now stands between them and is reintroducing himself in some way to Peter like he did that very first meeting when he said to him, your new name is going to be Peter and you need to follow me. I think what's... What's happening here, at least, is we're beginning to get a signal from Jesus that He is giving Peter, well, what else can we call it, a do-over. He is calling him and refreshing his calling to come near, to walk with him, and to serve him. Lamentations 3 talks about how, for us, God's mercies are new every morning. There is restoring grace And when He restores us to Himself, it's not just to a patched up relationship which now will remain shaky until maybe we can prove ourselves. It is a complete renewal. And then the question itself, Simon, son of John, do you love Me more than these? Than these? These what? A lot of opinions in the commentaries. It could mean these fish. These nets, this boat, you know, this fishing business. And if Peter had been tempted here to quit being a disciple and go back to fishing, that would probably make sense. But we saw last time, and and I'm convinced that that's not the case. Peter didn't go fishing because he wants to bail out. Peter went fishing because he was hungry. Now what it means is, do you love me more than these other men love me? Wasn't that Peter's boast in the first place? Well, they might leave you. I never will. Their love may fail. Mine won't. My love for you exceeds that of all these other men. That's what he implied. By the way, that's a really easy boast to make, isn't it? In the safe confines of a worship, when we're here and we're not under stress, I'm going to serve Jesus till I die. I will never fall away from Him. It's easy to say till push comes to shove and the rubber meets the road and you find out just how weak your love really is, how pathetic your commitment and your will can be, how little power you actually have to keep following Jesus when it gets really hard. If you had not experienced that yet, it's probably because you had not lived long enough to know the weakness that is inside of you. This is humbling. Peter is humbled by this. 
That, that's really clear from the response he gives to Jesus in verse 15. He says, Yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Now, now you see what's missing in Peter's response. He says nothing at all about the more than these part. Well, Lord, you know I love you more than they do. None of that. He no longer is comparing himself to them at all. He's no longer boasting how his love exceeds theirs or anybody else's. He's been humbled by this. Humility, by the way, will do that to you. Humility will take your eyes off of any comparison that you're making to others and set them back fully upon Jesus. And notice he, he, he even makes his appeal dependent not on himself at all, but upon Christ. He doesn't say, oh, well, let me show you how much I love you. He says, Lord, you know. The you is in the emphatic position. You know it. You know that despite my terrible failure, I do love you. I'm dependent upon you, Lord. I'm done boasting about what I can do. I just want to be near you and know that the love between us is still there. And Jesus says, okay, feed my lambs. He doesn't correct him. And say, oh, Peter, you failure. He commissions him. He calls him to serve. Peter, okay, take my love then and share it with others. Feed them my truth. Okay, we'll come back to that part in a little bit. But, but before Peter can make any real response to that commission, Jesus hits him again in verse 16. Peter, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? <laughs> same formality. Same question. Except this time there is no comparison at all. Just the bare, nagging question itself. Do you love me? Now honestly, that had to hurt a bit. And we'll see in just a minute it did. But isn't that a question that every one of us must face? Do you love Jesus? Do you? More than just words, can that love be seen? Peter has to be wondering that. Y yes, Lord. Don't you see it? Surely, surely you must know the truth. You know me through and through. And so he answers as he did before, Yes, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. You know it. Again, it's, it's emphatic. There's a way in the Greek to, to, to really underline a word. Because all of the weight here in this response is put on what Jesus knows about Peter, not on what Peter claims to feel. Because what really matters in this moment is not what Peter feels is true or says is true, but what Jesus knows to be true. In other words, my relationship to Jesus is defined by Him and rooted in His Word about me, not ultimately in my feelings about Him. In other words, we don't go back to our feelings, we go back to the Gospel. We don't stand upon what we feel because I don't know about you, but my feelings are really wishy-washy. We stand upon what Jesus says, upon His Word and His promises. So Peter here throws himself on Christ. Lord, my hope depends entirely on You. What You know, what You say, Lord, You know. Again, Jesus gives him a commission. Okay, so take care of my sheep. 
And then he hits him a third time. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? This one really hurts. Do you see that? I mean, come on, Jesus wounds Peter with this question. He grieves him. It speaks of an intense emotional distress. Jesus, with his question, knowingly distresses Peter. Do you have any room in your theology for the wounding words of Jesus? Where his question nails you to the wall. Do you understand... And his dealings with your soul, he is not interested in just giving you a bunch of good feelings. That is not his goal. Some folks will leave a church if it doesn't make them feel good every single time. If, 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 if when they come, they, they don't walk away just feeling wonderful. If there's been a pinch, a hurt, a conviction, as if the goal of being in a church is to get a personal pick-me-up so I feel better for the rest of the week. Sometimes Christ has to bring you down from your sinful dependence on yourself to do what needs to be done. Sometimes He has to wreck your self-confidence in order to strip you of it so you can take up a Christ confidence. Sometimes He has to ruin all your self-righteous pretensions in order to make you ready to receive freely His righteousness by which you stand. He is not here to give you good feelings. He is here to bring you to restoration. He has come to make you wholly His. And if He has to wound you to do that, if He has to confront your sin and wound your pride, He's going to do it. Hosea 6 verse 1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down, but He will bind us up. And when He does it, listen to me, it is worth it. Because in that process, you learn a deeper trust. One that is founded upon Him and His faithfulness, not upon your squishiness. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And for the believer, Jesus is the best of friends. And so He wounds Peter to humble him, to restore him. He wounds Peter so that Peter can look up to him once more and say, Lord, You know, verse 13, Lord, You know everything. You know that I love You. And I wonder if at that moment it didn't begin to click in Peter's mind. This is what Jesus is doing for me. Three times, standing beside a charcoal fire, when I was questioned about Jesus, I denied Him. Three times I looked and said, No! I don't want Him. And now, standing beside this charcoal fire, lit by Jesus, <laughs> He calls me to reaffirm my love for Him. How many times? Three times. See, you've read this so many times and you've seen that before, but I want you to feel the weight of it. Three times the promise of Peter's love failed. He had to be wondering, 
Is Jesus done with me? Can I ever serve Him again? Can I ever walk with Him? But now the gracious, wounding love of Jesus has brought Him to this second fire where questioned by Jesus Himself, He can reaffirm three times, Yes, Lord, I love You. Once for every denial, Jesus leads Him to affirm His love and then commissions Him to go serve. Do you see the grace in this? Do you see what a complete restoration this is? Listen, if you have sinned, if, come back to Jesus. Don't flee from Him. Let Him draw you. Open His Word and let it speak to you. Draw near within His body. Now, you open that Word and begin to take it seriously. That Word may wound you. Because that Word will point out your sin and it will call you to repentance and it will expose your heart and it may feel like a bandage being ripped off of an old wound, but there is healing in it. Don't flinch from it. Don't run from it. There is grace for you here because this is His love restoring you to Himself. 1 John 4.19 The reason we love Him is because He first loved us. Peter is restoring Jesus. Now, one little thing we need to mention before we move on to the second much shorter point. Some, even good Bible teachers, lean hard into the fact that there are two different words for love in play here. And so when Jesus says, do you love me? He uses, at least the first two times, the presumably stronger word agape. And it is somewhat stronger, but but when Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you, he does so with what's considered the weaker word phileo. Sometimes that's interpreted as if Jesus is saying to him, Peter, do you love me supremely? And Peter's saying, no, 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 not quite, but I at least love you this much. The problem with that, and there are many, but the main problem with that is D.A. Carson points out, that's just not how the language works. In fact, in John's Gospel, these two words for love are used interchangeably with no real difference in meaning. For example, when Jesus, when John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved, sometimes it's the disciple whom Jesus agape, sometimes it's the disciple whom Jesus phileo. And there's a dozen places where we just see these words being thrown out uh, in an indiscriminate way like that. John just liked to do this. He liked the variation of using synonyms. And so in verse 15, when Jesus says, Simon, do you agape me? Peter does not say, no, Lord, but at least I phileo you, as if it's a contrast. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then we get down to verse 17 when it says Peter is grieved because Jesus said three times, do you love me? It's actually the word phileo there. Now when did Jesus three times say, do you phileo me? Well, it's because John is just using these interchangeably as synonyms. And in fact, by the way, this conversation probably originally took place in Aramaic where there's not this diversity of words to even deal with. It's something that John really likes to do. And the whole point of it is this. The point here, so what that means is when you're reading in your English translation here, you're not really losing anything. The point here is not the degree or type of love, but the reality of that love as Peter calls, uh, as Jesus calls Peter back into fellowship. A love, by the way, which Jesus himself had placed in Peter's heart and is now using to restore him to himself. Which brings us to this next thing, and that is, so his love proclaims 
a commission to serve Him. Three times Jesus says, do you love me? Three times Peter affirms, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then every time Jesus follows up that affirmation with a commission to serve Him. Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, tend my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. And again, by the way, there's variation in the words both for sheep and for tending or feeding, but the meaning is pretty much the same. Uh, Go serve my people with my word. So, just step back from that and ask the question, so how must Peter then demonstrate his love for Christ? Answer by taking care of those who are dear to Christ. And there is no one more dear to Christ than His beloved, blood-bought people, His sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then take that love that you have for me and direct it toward my sheep. (laughs) Feed my little ones with my truth. Tend the bigger ones with their needs. Shepherd their souls. Help them grow in the grace of My Word. Take the food that I've given you, the truth of My Word, and pass it on to them. Feed them. That's how you love Me. So so very broadly speaking, we could say that love for Christ is shown preeminently in the actions we take toward one another in Christ. Right? And so it's really good to gather like this in worship as we've done to sing His praises, to make our confessions with our mouths, speaking these words of truth as we've done today, but words alone are not enough. Once our love for Christ must spill out in the actions that we take toward one another in Christ. And here specifically, Jesus commands Peter to take up the actions of a pastor. Because that's Peter's specific calling. A pastor, a shepherd, same word. Peter, if you love me, then shepherd them. Peter, if you love me, then feed them my word. Show your love for me by the way you care for those who belong to me. By the way, notice it's my sheep, my lambs, my sheep. Jesus owns the sheep. But this is the commission of a pastor. It's it's the commission Jesus gives those who would dare say that they follow Him. And by the way, it's a commission the elders and I take very, very seriously. 1 Peter 5.2, this same Peter passing on to those shepherds who would follow Him says, you must shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. There are a lot of things that we as pastors could do and must do, but there's one thing above all that we must do. Feed the sheep. Shepherd your souls. Make sure that you are getting good, spiritually nutritious food week after week. Now a lot more I could say about that if we had time, but let me just suggest two applications of this before we move on to the third point, and that is this first application. So pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. Ask God to keep us faithful to this calling. Again, there are many things we must do and must try to do well, but we must do this above all. If we are not faithful to this, none of those other things will matter. We must be faithful in the Word. Second, understand that when the pastors are teaching you faithfully from God's Word, that is loving you. It's loving Christ preeminently, but it's loving you 
for Christ's sake by feeding you the truth of God's Word because this is your greatest need. And so it all begins with love. We must affirm our love for Christ. It brings a commission to serve Him as He's called us to do. And the the way that we do that, the way that we love Him is by serving those who belong to Him. But then notice, along with that call to love and serve Him, here's the third thing. There is the promise of suffering. It will cost you everything to follow Christ. Look at verse 18 and 19. It's a fairly abrupt interjection, it seems, but it's all connected. Verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. If you're going to be faithful to Christ, it's going to involve suffering. Please don't buy the lie that faithfulness to Jesus is a means that leads you to a life of ease and comfort in this world. Don't buy that lie. In fact, just the opposite. Very often, faithfulness to Christ will lead you into greater suffering and more pain in this world. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Those who follow faithfully in Christ's footprints must be prepared to suffer as Christ did. But here's the thing, it is worth it. So notice the heads up he gives Peter here in verse 18. He says, truly, truly, you know, eh, eh, right? Been a long time since we've had one of these. Looking back in John's Gospel, remember whenever Jesus says truly, truly, it's like an alarm bell going off because He's about to drop some truth and say something very important. In this case, it is specific personal truth for Peter. Having restored Peter to himself through love and commissioned him to serve, Jesus wants Peter to understand what it will cost and it will cost him everything. Again, verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. You were kind of in charge, but when you're old, following me, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Peter, let me just tell you what it's going to cost you here. Back when you were a young'un, back before you met me, you got up in the morning, you put on your clothes, You did whatever you wanted. You just decided and you did it. By definition, the definition of this world, you were free. We today would say Peter had perfect autonomy. He could run and do whatever he wanted to do. But now he says, as you follow me, it's going to cost all of that. Man, that's a sales pitch, isn't it? You're going to suffer for this, Peter. You're going to stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you and then they will haul you off to a place you do not want to go. Now what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Peter's coming martyrdom. In case we weren't quick enough to catch that, he makes it clear in the next verse. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. He's going to glorify God, but it's going to be in death. Stretching out the hands like this. Anybody in the first century heard that phrase. They knew we're talking about crucifixion. 
They're going to stretch you out. And they will carry you. And it's not gently lead. That's not the word at all. There is force to it. There's violence to it. They will compel you. They will drag you to a place nobody in his right mind wants to go. The place of crucifixion. And by the way, we know that's exactly what happened to Peter. The unanimous testimony of the early church is that Peter, after years of faithfully serving Christ, is crucified under Emperor Nero sometime around 64 A.D. in Rome. Some traditions even go on to say that he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same upright position as Jesus. Now, we historically it's hard to confirm that one, right? Because that report comes a little later. Uh, could be, may not be, but the issue is Peter just as Jesus said, was crucified. And so that Jesus is saying, Peter, follow me. Be faithful to me. Serve me, knowing it will cost you everything. No flowery beds of ease here. No fat bank account to lean on. No health, wealth, and prosperity with a plush retirement at the end. Peter, you follow me, and it will be a death sentence. But here's the thing. It will be worth it. And so he ends verse 19 simply saying, Follow Me. Forewarned, follow Me. Christian, do you understand Jesus is saying the same thing to you this morning? Luke 9.23 makes it explicit, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And I didn't mean a little wooden cross on a card in your pocket like they were selling at youth conventions when I went back in the day. That means you're taking up the instrument of death and you are going to the place of suffering because following Jesus is worth it. This is what Jesus is calling you to. This is the call of the Gospel. Forsake all and follow Christ. And dear one, don't settle for any call weaker than that. Don't believe these wicked, perverted liars, these vile, evil men who make merchandise of the Gospel, who say you can use Jesus to get all the goodies now and to feather your nest. Please don't fall for that. That is not the voice of Jesus. That is the, that is the croaking of that vile toad, Satan. And please understand that. No, here is the voice of Jesus. Forsake all and follow Me. But do so realizing... It'll cost you everything. Come follow me, knowing that it will add pain to your life, that there will be suffering on these steps. Come follow me, knowing that it means you'll be hated by the very people who hated me. Come follow me, even though it costs you everything here and now, knowing that it is worth it eternally because you have me. Folks, live for something worth dying for. You know, one of the things I see in this world is people just bumble along with no purpose, no, no, nothing in front of them. They're just sort of living from experience to experience, from moment to moment, and they wonder why their lives are so empty. 
Why nothing seems to be worth it is because you're not living for something bigger than yourself. You're not living for something that's worth dying for. But that's what the Gospel calls us to. That's what Jesus is calling Peter to. It's what He's calling us to. Forsake sin and embrace suffering with Me. Is that what you signed on for? See, if, 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 you, if you didn't sign on for that, someone's cheated you. Jesus is calling us to martyrdom. I don't mean you literally have to go out and get killed. But we must be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Will you heed that call? Or will you hide from it? Will you love Him though it brings the experience of others' hatred? Will you serve Him even those you try to serve, even if those who you try to serve abuse you? And when your service costs you everything and brings you no observable earthly benefits, will you keep on serving? Because you believe His promise that eternally it will be more than worth it? You see, that's the call. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow Me. And so younger people here this morning, I, I challenge you. And You say, who's a younger person? Well, if you think you are, you are. We'll just go with that. <laughs> younger people, I challenge you to set the course of your life to follow hard after Christ no matter what it costs you. To set that mindset now. I will follow Jesus with everything and whatever it costs, whatever pain it brings, I'm going to count that as gain because knowing Him is the greatest adventure and the greatest prize of life. Old people, again, self-defined. I call on you to set the remaining course you have in front of you to finish well in faithfulness to Christ. To not back off as you're tempted to do as you get older because you've begun to experience some of the accumulated comforts of this life and you don't want to lose them. I'm preaching to myself as well as anybody else. But to be willing to say whatever faithfulness costs, it's worth it. All of us embrace the cross no matter what it may cost. No matter what loss it will bring because you understand that having Him is worth it. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. And because of love, follow Jesus. Lord, You are calling us to this and it is glorious. The world calls to us all the time with its lies and false teachers, fake preachers, think tell us that we can just combine these things, be faithful to Jesus and have it easy here. We're grateful that there are times when it is a blessing that we experience even in this life. You are so kind and good to us. 
And yet, Lord, you've called us to prize Jesus above all, loving Him supremely above all, following Him faithfully in all, because the prize is Him and eternity forever. And Lord, we want to go there. We want to live there. We want to take others there with us. We want to proclaim that message that redeems. We want to help people see that Jesus forgives sin and purifies and makes us a holy people like we read this morning in the Scripture reading, a nation belonging to Him to declare His praise. Father, would You move us in that direction? Would You wean us off of the things that distract us from this calling and cause us to live in the middle of this gracious, wonderful call to be with Jesus no matter what? We pray this in His name. Amen.